Hello, hello, and welcome back to Cutting Chai Stories, the only podcast that gives solopreneurs concrete copywriting tips for their email marketing, their website, and their social media copy in just 15 minutes or less each week. I'm your host, Jayati Vora, and today I'm in the hot seat. Last week, I was interviewed on Lizzie Tangy's Talk Write Done podcast, which covers all aspects of writing for the coaching business. Whether you're writing a book, an email, or a blog post, Lizzie's podcast brings you the inspiration, motivation, and the expert knowledge you're going to need to get the best writing out of you. Check it out on Talk Write Done. Lizzie interviews fellow coaches, publishers, email marketing experts, editors, and agents. And it's a wonderful fount of knowledge. So go follow her on Instagram. Check out her offers at lizzietangy.com. That's spelled L-I-Z-Z-Y. T-A-N-G-U-A-Y and subscribe to Talk Right Done. There was so much juicy material in here I wanted to share with you. So I asked Lizzie if I could share our interview on Cutting Chai Stories and she very kindly said yes. So what follows is our conversation on email as a genre, candy versus broccoli in your email marketing, how to find juicy stories for your emails, how long your emails should be and much, much more. Hi, Jayati, and thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Lizzie, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So let's start off. If you could tell us a little bit about your career journey, how you first got into writing, why you transitioned into teaching entrepreneurs about writing and creative writing to children, anything else that you'd like to share? <laughs> yes, I can just do that in two seconds. Yes. <laughs> So I think I initially became a storyteller because I was an introvert as a kid. I was the kind of kid who preferred to read books in my room by myself rather than go out and be social. And it just, you know, my love for stories took off from there. I went to college, I studied English literature. For my master's, I went in thinking I wanted to do advertising, then I gravitated towards journalism. But all the time, it was circling around words. So my entire life has been circling around writing and editing. And my first journalistic job was back as a staff writer in Mumbai at a magazine called, wait for it, Man's World, Man's World (laughs) Magazine. I was a young woman. This was my first job. I blushed every single time I introduced myself. (laughs) But I think the tipping point really for me was when, as this junior staff writer, I would write articles and I wrote my first big story. It was about the Mr. Universe bodybuilding competition that was happening in Mumbai at the time. And here I was, this, I was like, I think the only woman in the entire audience of hundreds of men. It was just like a very awkward, homoerotic kind of experience to be, you know, watching on a stage, these men gleaming with oil and this red powder that made their muscles stand out. And anyway, so I'd written this, I'd written this, uh, I'd written this cover story about it. My editor at the time, when he edited it, he didn't just mark it up and send it back to me. He did something that has never left me, which is he called me into his office and he edited it with me sitting right next to him. And I could see the changes he was making in real time. And he would explain his thought process to me. And, you know, he would query me, said, why did you do this and not that? And he would push me to go deeper on on a thought somewhere. And that experience never left me. And it's something that I took into my journalism career whenever I edited writers, whether I worked with veteran writers 
who had been in the business way longer than me or kids who had just graduated from J school or who had never attended J school. The idea was that I wanted to, I wanted to show the people that I was working with how they could make their own writing better, how they could recognize the patterns that were coming up again and again and learn to edit themselves. And, you know, doing that, it's like the difference between fishing for somebody and teaching them to fish, right? You're showing them how to recognize the weaknesses in their own words and how to improve upon it. So at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're teaching them that skill. And, you know, and, and, and part of the reason that I'm telling you this now is because I think that that's something that anyone can be taught. I mean, yes, I studied English Lit, I studied journalism, but it's really the experience of uh, practical hands-on knowledge, making mistakes and then seeing them corrected that shows you that you can do it, right? For Many people believe that they can't write and hopefully that's not your audience. But when you have somebody like I had who can show you how to make your writing better, that just gives you the confidence to do it. I, that's, that's exactly, and that's the reason that I'm doing what I do now. What I want to do for others what my old editor, shout out to Jerry Pinto, did for me. You know, I absolutely love that. That resonates so much with me because I, that make, reminds me of when I first started my PhD. And that is exactly what my supervisor did with me the first time. I, I, I was petrified to send him anything. And I did, you know, I had to tell, oh my God, you know, imposter syndrome, I can't write. And he sat me down in his office and he did exactly the same thing. Went through it with me, asked me about it. And that's, again, what I do with my clients and with them with my students. So yeah, I love that. And there's so much in that I love as well. The whole story about being the men's, what's it called? Men's world. <laughs> That's hilarious. And I just, in fact, I mean, that is what, if you haven't listened to JOT's podcast, you need to go listen to it because that is what it's all about. It's the storytelling and bringing in the storytelling and, and then having this lesson that you have with it. And I think you do that so well. So yeah, that's a perfect opener. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. And you also teach children, is that right? Are you still doing that? Because I know you were doing that for a while and I, I'm signed up for your emails about creative writing to children. Yeah, it's, um, it's a smaller part of my business now than it was last year, but I still do teach creative writing to children. It's all virtual, thanks to the pandemic. I mean, it started during the pandemic, so it's always only been virtual. That feeds me in a completely different way than working with adults because Working with children is so fun and so freeing and I get to be silly and, you know, we dress up and we do things that, you know, adults straight laced and as careful as we are about how we look and how we come off, you know, we, we're just not free in the same way. And so I teach creative writing to kids between the ages of seven and 11 and it's month by month and every month is a different subject and this month it's creativity and we're having lots of fun. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Okay, so should we get down to talking about some writing for business then? Oh, yes. Yeah. You can't see me, but I'm like making evil hands here. Yeah, right. So I talk a lot to my clients about the importance of identifying a really clear message for their book or for their blog post and how they can do this. Is that something messaging is that something that's important for emails and if so how can we refine our message for emails so sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't and I know I'm supposed to say that it it is important and you should be refining it and there's a lot of truth to that 
there's the all important rule of one to remember when you have a piece of business content for sure, because when you have a piece of business content, it's not just about telling a story. Usually there's something that you want your people to do after they read it. You want them to click a link, you want them to hit reply, you want them to create and review your podcast, right? So when, when you have a piece of copy, you want it to have one job. You don't want to ask people to review your podcast, but then also hit reply and then tell you something else. But also, I like to be a little loose when it comes to my emails. I am not this buttoned up person who has to do everything by the book all the time. And when it comes to emails, I feel like it's fun to include some candy with all the broccoli that you're serving up. And, you know, what I mean by that is it can be exhausting when you're on the receiving end to always have homework. You know, imagine if you're getting an email and you're always being asked to take some action and you're always being asked to like learn something. And I mean, I I have a lot of educational content in my, you know, social media, in my emails. It's, It's not, and there are plenty of times that I have, you know, a CTA that really is, yes, please click here or buy this or do this. But there's also a reason that people like to binge Netflix at night, right? It's great to watch the documentary, but sometimes we just want to have fun and laugh out loud. And so I think it's perfectly fine to have a mix. In fact, it's preferable to have a mix. And that way you're not always that serious friend who wants to have a loaded conversation. And sometimes you can be there just to chat and catch up and, you know, give somebody a chuckle. And I think that's fine too. I love that. I love that. That's that's really freeing as well, isn't it? Because sometimes you think, oh, what am I going to teach today? What am, You know, I got to... <laughs> You know, you could have this whole load on you that it's got to be educational. You've got to deliver some kind of value bomb. But just to know it doesn't always need to be like that. And you can, it can just be entertaining, just for fun. Yeah. And then it should be fun for yourself. Last night, which I did, which you would absolutely love, having found out you studied English literature. It's called The Chair. Have you seen it? Oh, yes, I did. I totally binged it like a few weeks ago. I binged it last night. (laughs) I thought about what I am watching. See, that's what people are going to remember. If this makes it in the podcast, people are going to remember that you and I both binged the chair, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen it and you love writing, that's that's one to watch. <laughs> so how can, how can writers find a style that's true to them for their emails? Oh, this is, I, I love this question because I'm just all about finding your natural voice and you know, not imposing one right way of speaking or writing on everybody. I, I, I very, very firmly believe that when we feel uncomfortable writing, it's because we are trying to force ourselves into a way of writing that doesn't feel natural to us, that doesn't feel authentic to us. And so then that feels icky. And so I, I want to remove this ickiness from everybody. And there's lots and lots of ways to do this. And when I work with clients, we, we go through a lot of them. But one really quick and easy way that anybody can do on their own is the next time you want to write an email to your list or you want to write social media copy or anything that feels conversational, that you want to feel conversational, instead of writing it down, talk. Record yourself in a voice notes app. Record a voice memo to yourself and just say what you want to say. And it's really hard to sound stilted when you're talking. I mean, maybe you'll take a a second or two to get over the awkwardness of doing it. Feel free to lock yourself in the bathroom and do it by yourself if you want to. But when you transcribe that, you will find yourself reaching for the words that come to you more naturally, explaining it like you're talking to a human being and not like you're trying to impress somebody. And then you can, when you transcribe it, you can always clean it up. You can, you know, edit it down. It doesn't have to be rambly. So you don't have to worry that, you know, it has to be perfect when you're saying it, but that will give you the source material. 
and it'll help you recognize your natural voice. Great. That's a really useful tip, I think. Yeah, something that I do as well. And especially, I think, if I'm working with clients that have been used to writing more formal writing, sometimes, you know, coming from business or education, they've just been trained, me as well, you know, trained to write in this very formal way. So it's how do we release that and how do we just sound like ourselves? And that's a a fab piece of advice there, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Academic, corporate, like jargon, all of this stuff. And it's just... It's not how people talk. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Okay, so something I've talked about on the show before is genre and the importance of being clear about the conventions of a particular genre, a particular way of writing. Um, You know, even if you need to know what they are in order to break them. So you need to understand what, you know, how an article is usually made up or written in order to then play with that. So what would you say are some of the key stylistic elements of the emails that coaches should be aware of first of all can I just say that I love the idea of email as a genre I've never thought of it like that before but I'm absolutely going to think of it this way going forward (laughs) and actually it's funny you mentioned emails in particular because I actually have a, a sort of a checklist or a guide on exactly this topic that may be helpful for your listeners yeah to share if you would like perfect yeah, um, I'll put it in the show notes after sure it's just it's 12 things that everyone should be aware of before sending their next email and it's just like different components and it sort of breaks that down and it's downloadable at cuttingjaystories.com slash 12 email components mm-hmm. um but a few that i'll just mention quickly that i think people overlook one is to always brainstorm at least five or six different subject lines before picking one you know, sometimes quantity can lead to quality. And the first thing that we think of is not always the most interesting thing. You've lost 100% of your audience if you haven't enticed them to actually click to open your email. So it's important to put some time into the subject lines. And a subdivision of that is to always include preview text. If you don't put in anything as preview text, then likely your email service provider is going to grab something, it's going to have something generic. Either it's going to just have the first few lines of your email, or it's going to say something like, click here to view this email in your browser. That's not something that's going to convince somebody to open your email. So you can use the preview text as an additional real estate to help you grab those eyeballs. And then finally, another piece of forgotten real estate is the postscript. A lot of emails don't use postscripts, and that's just a wasted opportunity in my book because There are a lot of people who are not going to skim your long, beautifully written email, but they're just going to want the punchline at the end. And so if you have like a strong call to action, if you have like click here to buy this or to, you know, book your spot with me, that should always go in the PS. Well, yeah, that's really, I like her. And, and, you know, if we think of genre in terms of the different moves that you have in a genre, that's one that is so specific to emails because I can't think of anything else, any anywhere else where we'd have a PS. So yeah, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah, I like that. And that's something I'm going to make a note to do because I definitely don't always have a PS. So <laughs> great. <laughs> okay. So moving on, then, what would you say to clients who are worried that their writing isn't good enough, you know, or they might make a mistake? I would ask them good enough for what? Mm. People connect with other people and people will make mistakes. And I, as an editor and as a copy editor, and 
I am absolutely not somebody who is advocating that you be sloppy or careless. And that's why one of the things you must always do is send yourself a test email, a preview email before sending it to your entire list. But mistakes are going to happen. I mean, even the New York Times prints mistakes, right? Everybody prints mistakes. And when they do, I think it's important to take them in your stride. Believe me, people are going to remember a graceful apology or you being tongue-in-cheek and poking fun at yourself much more than the original mistake. I'll tell you a story. Once, I don't know, last year at some point, I remember I made some tech mistake and all the links that I had in my email got stripped out. So it looked fine in the preview. And then when I hit send and actually arrived in my inbox, there was zero links. And so very sheepishly, about 15 minutes after sending my email to the whole list, I had to send another email with the subject line that went something like technology one, Jayati zero. And, you know, and I said what I, I had a very short apology, um, explained what happened. And then I, I sent the actual links. And you know what? Like nobody responded to the original email, but so many people saw the apology email and they took the time to write me back because it was tongue in cheek. I admitted it. I didn't pretend that, you know, it didn't happen. And it was something very relatable. I mean, who doesn't battle technology on a daily basis and lose? Yeah. Do you know what? I've, I've found that when I've had a, a typo in an email, you know, it's happened to me on more than one occasion. And I'll send an email out something like, oops, sorry about that. You know, and that actually gets a higher open rate. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, people like to see that you're human as well. So I think that's nice. Yeah, absolutely. And then that goes back to the headlines too, right? People, you're, you're teasing them. You're, you're, they're more interested to read what comes yeah. after. And that's yeah. Interesting. yeah, that's right. Okay, what are your key tips for writing engaging stories and emails that have some relevance? Now, these are the ones that are going to be relevant for business and a clear call to action. Yeah. Okay, so this is a big one and it's a juicy one because I love storytelling and emails. I'm all about that. That's my jam. But there is an art to making them relevant. You do not want to be navel gazing right? Only a mom is going to be interested in the little humdrum details of your life for no other reason than they happen to you. But at the same time, there's a way to use already what's happening in your life, in your business, in your industry, and to extract a lesson from almost any story. For example, I get a lot of stories out of my interactions with my dog, Chiku, who's currently sitting on my lap as we do this interview. I remember I wrote one email about uh, the week that she had been spayed and she had to wear this like plastic cone around her neck so she wouldn't scratch herself. And there was this one time I was in a Zoom call with my students and she was sitting next to me and trying to get out of it. And she'd been trying to get out of it all week and hadn't worked. But somehow for some that time, after five days of constantly trying, she figured out how to release the catch. And then I had this awkward moment where I had to like, you know, leave the, leave the call and then go and get her so that she wouldn't injure herself and rip her stitches. And that was a very minor story, right? It's barely a blip. We have things that happen to us like that on a daily basis. But at the time, I was writing an email to my list about discovering your natural voice. And so the tie-in that I used there was, have you ever, ever felt itchy and uncomfortable like Chiku? Maybe it's because you've been told all your life that there is one correct way to write and it should include A and B and C, but it feels itchy, just like Chiku's cone. It doesn't feel natural. And so you want to do anything to break out of it. And so that email was all about breaking the rules. And so you see how I took something totally mundane and completely unrelated. I didn't go out searching for some specific business-related story, right? I sketched it out with a few concrete details, gave people a visual cue, and... 
I mean, it has to be quick. I'm, I'm not writing like a 500 word anecdote here. But then I took from it that one key lesson that would be applicable to my audience. And I think that that can happen with almost anything. It's just about reframing the way you look at it. Mm. Yeah, that's nice. And kind of looking doesn't necessarily need to be this big story. You know, it can be the, the mundane, as you say, everyday things. And your dog is so cute. I'm going to put a picture of your dog on the website. We'll have to get it <laughs> with the podcast. <laughs> okay. okay, so I'll, I'll put these two questions together, really, because they're quite short ones. Well, I think, I don't know, you might have a lot to say about these. How often should writers email their list? And, okay, let's go with that one first. How often should people email their list? Probably more than they are. Mm-hmm. We all think that we're emailing too much, that people are going to get pissed off, that we're going to bug people and irritate them. And it's true, we get a lot of email, but we're also used to getting a lot of email. And as long as you have something to say, as long as your emails are good, I don't think that you should be worried about emailing your list too much. On the other hand, if, if you're just writing fluff to hit send twice a week, then no, don't subject your list to that, right? That the, there should be a reason for you to email and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't always have to be the broccoli. Sometimes it can be something entertaining. As long as you have something to say, you know, I would advocate for just being regular, making it a habit and having fun with it. Yeah. I personally email my list twice a week, but, you know, not that long ago, three, four months ago, I was emailing them once a week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do what feels right to you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and that consistency is good, I think, isn't it? So even if you start once a week and then increase, yeah. And how long should the emails be? Yes. You think keep them short? Yes. Long? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they should be 1,872 words. All yeah, of them. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean... It takes the space it takes. I, I do think that in if you're anything like me and you write long, it's always a good idea to see if you can trim 25% off the word count mm-hmm. right off the bat. And that's like a very ruthless thing. And, and most of us, you know, our writing can be sharpened when we're ruthless with ourselves like that. But, you know, some, some stories take time to tell. And to do them justice, you need to give them a little bit more space to unfold. And other times you just might want to be quick and dirty. And that's fine too. I, I'm serious. Like it's, you know, we're not, we're not like, it's, it's not like we're eating main courses all the time when we eat, right? Sometimes you want a snack. Sometimes you want an appetizer. Sometimes you want a dessert. And I would encourage you to think of your communication just like that. Why does it always have to be one thing? Right. Um, I don't want yeah. to prescribe what that thing is. You know better. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how can we get our readers to open emails without being clickbaity? Oh, I have so much to say about that because I, I absolutely loathe clickbaity headlines and bait and switch kind of headlines hmm. because those, they're costing you trust. Mm-hmm. They're costing you trust with your audience, right? They're the worst because you're promising something you're not delivering or you're saying something that has like some sensational factor, but you have to be so sparing with the use of that because the more you do it, the less people are going to click on that. It's like the boy who cried wolf, right? You keep on saying wolf, wolf, wolf. And then after some time, they're going to realize there's no wolf and it's just you screaming at the top of your lungs. So I would absolutely stay away from clickbaity headlines. 
I actually just did a podcast episode on this. It's episode three of season three. Uh, and it's exactly about this topic, which is about how to write good headlines yeah. that I'm not yeah. reading. Yeah. But, you know, as I talked about earlier, you do have to pay some attention to your headlines. I don't want you to go 100% in the opposite direction and just have your headlines be dull and boring because then, you know, you're losing, you might have some amazing content in there, but if nobody's going to click on it, then then what's the point, right? Mm-hmm. So there is, there is a balance that you have to strike between being interesting and engaging versus being sleazy and icky. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I sometimes, you know, some of the emails that I'm subscribed to, it'll be, you know, they're obviously telling a story and they put a bit of that story in there, like, oh, you'll never guess what she did. And I'm like, oh, you know, and do I want to open that? Sometimes I just want, this is how you do X, Y, Z. If I've signed up to, and I just want to know yep. what value that's going to give me. What, that, yep. you know, and so I've tried various, you know, I wouldn't have written the, um, you know, the clickbaity things like that, but sometimes making it a bit more interesting and then sometimes just saying, this is the way I do X, Y, Z. Or one of my, and I love to analyze these things. This is just the way I am. So I see, you know, what are the clip, what are the open rates for my emails? <laughs> and I think my most opened one was, hiya, how are you? Or something like that. <laughs> you know why that works? You know why that works? It's because it makes you sound like a real human. Well, that's it. It makes you, that's what your friends are like, hey, how are you doing? You know, what you're yeah. today, that kind of thing. Yeah. Because so. nobody likes to receive emails from a, like a spam bot. They want to receive yeah. emails from other yeah. humans. Yes. So what, what you touched on, actually, those two things are exactly, um, like if I had to break down headlines in a very, very top macro way, I would say those are the two ways to do it. One is to um, have something very utilitarian, very straightforward. This is what you're going to get. For example, that headlines podcast episode that I was thinking about, I think, I think the title of that was how to write better headlines, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you can't get more straightforward than yeah. that. Yeah. It's telling you what you're getting. So if you're interested in writing better headlines, you will maybe click on that. If I wanted to go another way and not be clickbaity, but arouse curiosity, what I would do is leave an open loop, which is, you know, the human mind hates an open loop. It always wants to close the loop. So something like the one thing you should be doing to get more readers, right? And so I leave the word headline out of it. And so you may want to know, oh, am I doing that thing? What is that one thing? Let me click and hear more, right? Yeah, I like that distinction. Yeah. And then there's a way to do that without, you know, without being clickbaity or without being sensationalist. Yeah. Okay. So how can we provide value to our audience and sell to them? Because sometimes, you know, obviously we don't want to be selling in every single email or do we? You know, what? what's the ideal balance? Is there one? You're going to tell me there's no right answer now. I, I can already do <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know me so well, Lizzie. <laughs> Well, I think there are different schools of thought on this. I think there is, you know, there are some people who say that you start selling right away because like, why are you depriving yourself of that potential for revenue? And that works great for the people who know how to do that and for whom it feels aligned. There are other people who might feel like, oh, I want to get to know you a little bit first. I want to like, let me buy you a cup of coffee or let's, let's have a chat. Let me introduce myself. And that usually, you know, that often happens in, in, in the case of email lists through welcome sequences or nurture sequences before, you know, that person then gets shifted to a regular newsletter group. But 
the idea of value, I just, I want to challenge that idea of value again a little bit, because this idea that everything has to be a lesson and taught and heavy, mm. it's just so much pressure. It's so much pressure on you, the content creator, and it's so much pressure on the person who's receiving that piece of information, because then they have to do something with it. And I think entertainment as value, as like a, as a fun story, as getting a laugh, that is as good as you know, learning something. And I think you need to have that balance of, of, of those fun things as part of the value. Um, and then when you do that, then it's not such a big, it's not such a big ask and it's not such a big deal when you're straight up selling. And there are times that the sale can be sort of embedded within the email, within a story. And then there are some t- sometimes where you just straight up say, hey, I'm selling a thing, mm. you know, and it can feel really uncomfortable for us to do that mm-hmm. because that's where you face like the fear of rejection. But that's also you being true to yourself and what you do and not shortchanging yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think it gets easier over time, doesn't it? I think, um, you know, the more we do it, the more rejections we get as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the more you get used to it yeah. and the tougher yeah. the you develop, right? Yeah. No, that's right. And yeah, yeah. So tell us about a favorite self-development book or writing book that you've read recently or that you were reading well I'm not reading this now but something that I think follows on from what we've been talking about today um, is this book by Natalie Goldberg that I have here it's called writing down the bones uh, um, the writer within and one of the things that Goldberg says is that you just have to keep your hand moving on the page because our thoughts come faster than our hands can write, or in our case, type. And don't self-censor and don't edit. Just focus on getting it all down on paper. And the other thing that she says that I really like is to not take yourself too seriously. When you don't feel like every word you have to write has to be perfect and golden, then you just then, then, then it's like opening the stopper, right? And just allowing things to flow. Mm-hmm. So for instance, one thing she tells people is to not buy like the fancy expensive books because then the pressure to produce something good can stifle you. It's better to buy something cheap and throw away some spiral bound notebook because they can put any old thing in it and all your thoughts can come out. And it's more important to have the thoughts come out than have the beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's incredibly freeing, isn't it? Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. writing that rubbish first draft, just get it out there. Yeah. And guaranteed, anyone, everyone, every writer has a rubbish first draft. Absolutely. It's incredibly freeing, I think, when you realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one one useful thing, I mean, I don't know everybody who does it, but there are people who share their first drafts, their crappy first drafts. Oh, great. People who have public blogs or people who have public personas who have, or, you know, writers who have been published in their early years you compare what they wrote at the start and you compare mm-hmm. where they are now and you see what a massive transformation has occurred and mm-hmm. as an editor I'm also telling you that whatever's published has typically been through an editor's desk and so you can't imagine how much more crappy it was <laughs> as the draft that landed there that's right well thank you so much that was such a inspiring and juicy conversation where can we find you where can you find me? Well, I'm on Instagram at Jayati Vora. Uh, you can sign up to my email list where I share lots of candy with the broccoli at cuttingchaistories.com slash subscribe. I have a writing centric podcast 
for entrepreneurs who want to transform their business copy. And that is also called Cutting Dry Stories. And you can subscribe to that for free wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have any offers at the moment? Uh, yeah, sure. I So I work on a limited basis with one-on-one clients who mm-hmm. are really serious about transforming their copy. And that's a very intensive sort of a coaching program. I also have a subscription program called Million Dollar Emails. And we haven't really talked about where creativity comes from and ideas. But a lot of times I find that people get stopped at the idea level and they think, what what could I possibly have to write about twice a week or once a week? And so I created this program called Million Dollar Emails where you get five writing prompts a month with a variety of transitions and, and calls to action that you can incorporate into your own industry and your own life. Um, so it's not cookie cutter at all. Plus, and this is the really valuable part of it right here, you get two live Q&A calls with me a month where I'll edit your copy with you. So it's kind of like having an editor in your pocket. So I think that's an absolute steal. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, I take on some select copywriting clients on a case-by-case basis. Great. Well, that's fantastic. So go and subscribe to all the things, the email, the podcast, and go and check out JT's website as well. So that was it. We covered quite a lot, right? I think this is one episode you might want to come back to again and again. If you'd like that download I mentioned in the interview about the 12 elements that your marketing emails should have, I'll put that link in the show notes. And if you'd like to know more about Lizzie, please check out the show notes. I'll put her information there as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until I see you again next Thursday, tell me. Do you send candy in your emails or broccoli?